right. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Good. Oh, yeah, it's a little weird coming out of a video like that, right? We, we didn't really think about it. We didn't think that through. We were like, oh, this really kind of like oh, intense video. And it's like, hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. I hope you're doing well. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And I have the, the esteemed privilege today of introducing all of us uh, to the first week of a series that we're kicking off today called I Want a New marriage. Now, I don't think that any of us want a new marriage, and we don't intend for any of you to go and get a new marriage, especially if you're already married. Uh, But what we do think is that a lot of people would like a a better marriage, and that's what the next six weeks is all about. What we've designed this series to do is to help all of us kind of figure out some of the things that are in our relationships that cause, I mean, some of the angst that we feel, some of the arguments and disagreements and fights that all of us experience in marriage, because come on, let's be honest. All right, we're going to fight. All right, we're going to argue. We're going to disagree. Uh, but I think there's a way that we can, we can limit some of those. We can help some of those to be a lot less intense than they already are. And that's the purpose of this series. Now, we didn't want to just talk to married people specifically. And so we've got some content for some single people who are thinking about getting married. We've got some content for people who are divorced and thinking about marriage again. We've got some people, we've got some content for people who are married and thinking about divorce. Like we got some of those. Uh, So that's what this series is going to be all about. And so today I wanted to start the conversation. I I told you this was coming. So this shouldn't be a surprise for any of you who were here with us last week. Um, we wanted to start the conversation today with, with that thing in marriage that causes a lot of fights. I heard a pastor say a bunch of years ago uh, when we were talking about how to help married people, he said, married people really only fight, 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 fight over two things. And the other one is money. All right, and so we're going to talk about the one that, ever, that, that causes a lot of fights today. We're going we're to talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say what God has to say, and about the design of marriage that includes sex. And so we're going to talk today about this thing because, yeah, I I think there's something really significant that we have to address inside of the church. And I think it's something that all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, it's something that we know intuitively. There's something in our psyche, there's something that we just know to be true, but, but culture doesn't call it out. And if we don't talk about it, it can almost, because it goes unsaid, could go un, unresponded to. And so that's the, the key thought that I want to start us with today. And, and it's, this, it's this idea that sex is not just physical. If you're looking for something to write down or some notes to take today, you can, you can write this down. Sex, it's not just physical. And again, I think that's something that all of us, we, we, we kind of know that to, to be true. But the problem is that unless you call it out, unless you're aware of this truth, then it's possible to, to live your life in such a way that when, when you treat sex as something that, that's just physical, the Bible says, and we'll, we'll draw this out in a little while, that, that it hurts you. When, we, when you mistreat or mis, misunderstand about what sex is and what it isn't, it's possible for you to, to hurt yourself. When we believe that it's just physical, we're setting ourselves up for disaster later. And, and here's, the, here's the pushback that we give this. Oh, come on, come on, Pastor Brian. I mean, as long as nobody gets pregnant and as long as nobody gets an STD, I mean, what's, what's the big deal? I mean, it's, it's fun. It's just, it's just this thing. I mean, it's just this thing that we do. It's, it's fun. We we enjoy it. Like, and as long as nobody gets hurt, we had that conversation last week, like a couple weeks ago, as long as nobody gets hurt, 
As long as there's no lasting ramifications from what we do, then I mean, come on, is it, is it really that big of a deal? And, and I would argue that, that, yeah, it is. But because, because it's not just physical and it's not just fun and it's something that, that touches us on a, a level that's probably deeper than most of us realize until we really call it out and talk about it. So, so here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to see if I could get all of us kind of on the same page as we think about sex and sexuality. So I've got three questions that, that I want us to, to think about for just a moment that I think will help us all see that, that intuitively we know that, that sex isn't just physical. So, so here's number one. Why is it when a child is sexually abused? And then they grow up and they get into their adult years and they, they begin to figure it out. They begin to put all the pieces together and realize, realize what happened to them when they were a child. When they begin to connect all the dots, why is it so hard for them to shake that off? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's not just, oh, well, somebody touched me inappropriately, you know, or whatever. And, and now, you know, as an adult, why, why can't they just shake that off? And some may argue, well, it's because they were, they were betrayed by an, an authority figure. There was somebody in a position of authority that, that they did something inappropriate. No, no, no come on. Even, even the best, well-meaning, loving parents, we, we betray our children in some sense. Like I, me as an imperfect parent, I don't perfectly keep all the promises that I make to my children. I, I mess up and, I'm, and I make mistakes, but, but those they tend to shake off. But, but why is it when, when sexual abuse is involved that... It's so much more difficult for them to shake it off as an adult. Here, here's another one. Um, why is rape so much more devastating to a woman than just being beaten up? I mean, if, it's, if, if, if sex is just physical, then, then when a woman is raped, it's kind of like the same thing as being beaten up. But the statistics will tell you that women are twice as likely to report physical abuse as they are sexual abuse. Why is that? Because I think there's something that we know intuitively. Sex is it's more than just physical. It's different than being just beaten up. I mean, if it's, if it's the same as being beaten up, it's like, okay, all right, so you hit, you, he hit you, so leave him and then just you know, shake it off. And, and if, he, if he raped you, I mean, okay, he raped you, just, just shake it off. But that, that doesn't seem right. That, that feels wrong even coming out of my mouth, right? To say, oh, you were raped. Well, just, okay, just shake it off. Well, you can't. Why? Because sex is... It's not just physical. Here's another one. Here's the last one. Why is it that people's, that most people's greatest regret is always sexual? Every every time I get somebody in my office and they say, hey, Pastor Brian, I want to talk to you about something. And um, I've never told anybody this before, ever. My mind knows that, that what's coming next has something to do with sex or sexuality. It's never, I don't ever get this conversation. Pastor Brian, I want to tell you something I've never told anybody else before. There was this time I was in a parking lot at the mall and I backed into this other car and I didn't leave a note. Like that's, that's never the conversation. That's never the thing that they've never told anybody else. It's always has to do with this, this deep seated shame, regret, remorse, guilt, conviction, all of that stuff. Why? Because sex is not, just physical. And the reason, the thing that makes sex 
so much more than physical is, is this word. So if you're looking for something else, again, so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's this little word. We don't use it a lot in our culture, but it's the word intimacy. And intimacy is to know and to be fully known. And when God created sex, this is what he had in mind. That, that sex would be the thing that creates intimacy between people. This would be the most intimate way for, for one person to connect to another person would be this, this sexual connection and it's, and it's intimacy, which, and this is something that God designed. Can you just go with me there for a minute? God created sex. It was his idea. God did this. Like God was, he was in the process of creation and he's making all the animals, he's making all the birds, and he's making all the, the land and the sea and the light and the dark. He's doing all this stuff. And then he gets the humans and he, and, and he changes a little bit because these are, this is the apex of creation. He's going to create these two living beings that are going to be able to respond with him, with lot to, with, respond to him with logic and reason. And he's creating them and he makes man. He's like, now nah, he's going to need some help. And so he makes a woman, and then he it gives her to man, and it's awesome. And then he's, he's you know, in the process of this creation, God looking at man and at woman, he goes, oh, I've got a great idea. And then he gave us this gift for men and women. He, he gave it to these he, he, he says The Bible says that he took man and woman, and he made them one flesh. He two, took two and made them into one, and he gave them this gift called called sex because he wanted them to be able to, to connect and to be intimate and to, to know and to be fully known by another. Like, sex was God's idea. And when he created it, he created it to be this, this full-on, passionate, powerful, sometimes even, even on, right on the edge of, of, of scary because it's so powerful and you're so, you're so vulnerable in that moment to give yourself to another person like that. And, and God had this beautiful design for it. But, but all of us, all of us know that, that as, as powerful and as beautiful as it is, it's equally destructive and harmful. Come on, sing, single people in the crowd. You, you, you know some married people that have, that have damaged this, don't you? You, you know some married people that, that, that broke this idea. And you, you know some women who, who because of their, their past or because of how they were treated or because of something that was done to them, that they're, they're, almost, they're almost numb. And they have an inability to connect to their husband in a way that they really want to. And you know some husbands that are so damaged by their sexual past that they're looking for something in their wife that they feel like they can't find because of, of something that's in their head or something they've seen or something they've engaged in previously. And now they're married to a woman that doesn't quite meet up to this, this picture of how sex is supposed to be in their mind, whether it be pornography or adulterous or, or relationships outside of marriage and before that or whatever, whatever they have in their head of what, a, what sex is supposed to be like and they're go looking for that in their spouse and then when she won't because that person on the, on the video that you watched on the internet did, and you start to feel like, well, if she loved me more, maybe. And, all of, and so you've got this, these women that, that can become so numb to it because they've treated it like it was just physical. And now they can't connect to their husband in the way that they want to. And you've got men that are so devastated by their perception and idea of sex that they don't have the ability to connect to their wife in a way that they want to. And, and each of them are in the marriage thinking that they married the wrong person. When that's ultimately, it has nothing to do with it. 
And so what you might find interesting, probably not because you're in church, is that the Bible actually has a lot to say about what sex is and what it isn't. And the reason that, that I'm, uh, we, we make this case all the time for, for why I believe that the Bible is true. Because the Bible talks about sex in a way that no man would ever, if, if, if man was coming up with, with his version of how sex was supposed to work inside of marriage or even outside of marriage, he would not say what the Bible says. That's, that's what makes me believe that scripture is the word of God given to man through human authors, but I believe there really is God's word because what the Bible has to say about sex, no man would come up with. I mean, think about it this way. Think about every man-made religion that you're aware of right now. Think about all the cults that you know of. What, what is the rule for the leader of every man-made cult that you've heard of in regards to sex and sexuality? What, what is it? He, he gets to have sex with all the people that he wants to, Right? He gets to father as many children as he wants to, by as many, by as many women as he wants to. Because that's what you get when man comes up with religion involving sexuality. If man gets to create the rules for sexuality, this is what the leader always comes up with. That he gets to have as much sex as he wants to. But that's not what the Bible says. And that, that to me just helps me believe and trust the authority of scripture when it talks about sexuality. Because it's very clear that any one person getting to have sex with as many people as they want to has nothing to do with God's original design. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or if you're following along on version, we've got it there, and we're going to put the stuff up on the screen for you to read here. This is what the Bible has to say about sexuality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, flee, run away, book it. Like, just move on. Get out of the way. Flee from sexual immorality. Watch this. All other sins a person commits. Now, listen. Look at me real quick. Stop reading. Look at me. Right here. All right. So, Paul is getting ready to tell us what makes sexual sin different from every other sin. He said all other sins people commit are in one category. But he's going to set sexuality apart, and this is what he says. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Sexual sin is different. Sexual immorality is different. And it's not different because God hates it more. But because of the depth to which it hurts the offender in addition to the offended. He's saying this same powerful agent that, that can bond and strengthen a marriage, this thing that can bring people together in intimacy has equal power to do harm and to destroy people. He's saying there's no sin like sexual sin when it comes to the ongoing impact of what's been engaged in. And if you back up just a couple of verses, uh, to verse 16, and Paul draws this out even further. Like he's, he, he's, he's trying to, rem, to, to get into the minds of the people that, 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 that God thinks about sex very differently than we do. And he's writing to a group of people in Corinth, by the way, just a real quick um, context All right, lesson. Paul is writing to the people in Corinth where, where sex was part of their religion. Like if, if you wanted to participate in the religion of the, the Gentiles in Corinth, 
Like you could go to the temple and have a prostitute, and it was considered part of their religion. He's writing to a sexually depraved group of people and explaining to them the truth about how God thinks about sex. And so he, he tells them to flee from it. And just a couple of verses before, he says this. He says, do you not know? And they didn't know. They had no idea. They were completely unaware. But he says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. And the people who are reading this are going, whoa, 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 Paul, Paul, come, come on, buddy. Listen, nobody's uniting here. We're just having sex. And so this, this word that Paul uses in the Greek, this, this little word that he uses that we translate in English as uniting, it's, it's, it's like it has a sense of of permanence. Like it's once you put it together, there's no separating it. Like it's, it's a permanent thing. And so Paul says, don't you know that, that he who unites with a prostitute, and they're going, but nobody's uniting with anybody. It's, it's just, that's not, that's not what we're doing here. Like this is, we go to the temple, you get a prostitute, we kind of do our own little private thing, we you know, give our sacrifices the thing, and then, we, and then we, go away, we go about our business, and nobody's hurt, it's all good. And Paul said, no, 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 no. But, but, but two are becoming one. Now, now, when I think about that, I don't think there are many things better at uniting than duct tape. You see, when you stick duct tape on something, chances are you intend for it to be there for a long, long, long time. It's a, it's a uniting thing, right? So what Paul is saying is that when we treat sex like it's just physical, and we take something that unites one person to another, and then we ununite it, and then we unite it again. Tried to stay united, that's not good. <laughs> and, we, and we unite it again, and again, right? And again, that there's something that's taking place that we're not really sure is happening. You see, that which was intended to be forever, when we mistreat it and we treat sex like it's just physical and it's not really a uniting thing, what happens is before long we find ourselves in marriage and that which was intended to unite it, it just doesn't seem to want to hold anymore. And we find married couples five, six, and seven years into marriage when the infatuation has worn off. And they say things like, you know, I just don't feel close to them anymore. And I just don't feel like we can get connected. There's no intimacy. There's no romance. And that's because the thing that was supposed to be forever has been given away and 
taken back and given away and taken back and given away and taken back. And, and before, you long, before long, its ability to bond, to unite in the way that God intended it, it's gone. See, all of us, all of us, we were designed in God's mind, created in his mind to connect one to one forever. And when you break that, you hurt yourself at one of the deepest levels possible. And so what I believe really erodes some of the intimacy that all of us are after in marriage are a couple of myths about sex. One is that it's just physical. We've kind of addressed that already, but I wanted to give you two more. Two myths about sexuality that that I think some of us or maybe a lot of us at one time or another have bought into. And here's number one. Here's the myth. Sexual behavior, it's just a matter of preference. Sexual behavior is a matter of preference. Here's what that means. That means that if Hey, hey, Pastor Bon, I hear what you're saying. I know the Bible says that's good. And I mean, that might be good for you, but I mean, I, but not for me. Like that's, that's not for me. It's just kind of a preference. Like you, you might prefer like one to one forever and that's cool. That's like, that's your thing. You do your thing, but that's just not going to work for me. That doesn't work for me and in my life. And that's not true. Um, or, or they might say, well, maybe that's good for like all them Christian people, but this isn't, this isn't really applicable real world outside of the Christian church. And so if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, you're saying, hey, that sounds good for all you wacky Christian people, just not, work, just not good for me. But, but here's, the, here's the reality. Sexual behavior is, is not a matter of preference because here's the truth, unhealthy sexual behaviors have a predictable outcome. Let's put that on the screen, please. Yeah, unhealthy sexual behaviors have a predictable Outcome. In other words, sexual behavior is not a matter of preference because you can predict the outcome when you do it wrong. So here's here's the difference. Here's a preference. Art. I don't care a thing in the world for art. Like I can look at stuff on a wall all day. Some of it looks good to me. Like I don't understand art. But art is a matter of preference. Like you like this kind of art and they like that kind of art. And you can agree to disagree on which art is better. But at the end of the day, it's all preference. It really is a preference. Art, Art is a preference here's what here's something that's not a preference nutrition all right so you you may prefer to eat mcdonald's and wendy's and fatty foods and lots of red meat and things high in fat and high in sugar and high cholesterol and drink sodas like it's water like you you might you might prefer to do that and then there might be someone else who prefers to eat healthy and you know salads and all that other healthy stuff like I don't even I'm not a nutritionist all right but but you get the idea like you you may prefer to eat fast food or you may prefer to to eat a little healthier here's the difference there's a predictable outcome for your preference, is there not? Like if you choose to eat McDonald's, all that, that's your choice and that's your ability to choose whatever you want to do, but you're going to end up overweight. That's just how that works. And if you choose to eat a little healthier, then maybe you'll lose a little bit of weight. The wife and I have been doing Weight Watchers. Like, it's like I've never eaten healthy in my life. I hate it, all right? I want a cheeseburger. But anyway, that's, that's just me venting while I'm on stage. That, my little personal therapy session. Thank you guys for listening. All right, so... But, but there's, a, there's a preference, there's a predictable outcome based on the choices that you make. Sex is more like nutrition than it is like art. We tracking? Unhealthy sexual behaviors have a predictable outcome, and you've seen them 
You know people who've been damaged by it because they had unhealthy sexual behaviors, don't you? You know it. Here's the second myth, and this is probably as much for, this is more for single people than anybody else, but there, there are probably some married people in our audience this morning that thought this prior to getting married and have found out that they were wrong. But here's, here's the second myth. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. All right, so um, most of you who, who know me and have been hanging out here for a while know that I was in the Marine Corps. Um, now, some because of upbringing, some because of, uh, of Bible awareness and what, whatever, and then just some, some luck, and I believe by the, by the guiding of the Holy Spirit, even though I wasn't a very good listener during my youth, um, my wife and I both waited until we were married to have sex. Neither, neither of us had sex before we got married. Um, again, by, by the grace of God. It wasn't for a lack of trying. It, it was just because the Holy Spirit was looking out for me, I believe. So uh, we, we waited. Now, I, I made the mistake of telling my Marine buddies this. When I was in the Marine Corps, I was in the Marine Corps when we got married. And so leading up to um, my, my wedding date, knowing that I was engaged, the men that I worked with and some of the ladies, oddly enough, gave me all kinds of grief about not having sex before we got married. And here was, here's what, here was the logic. Here was the logic. Brian, like, man, you need, to, you need to try out some other ladies first before you get married. Because what happens, Brian, like, listen, listen, listen. Like, you, this is a lifelong commitment. You got to be careful who you get married to because what happens, Brian? Listen to me. Listen, like, listen, they were serious. It was so serious. Listen to me. If you get married and the sex is bad, you are stuck with bad sex for the rest of your life. Let me tell y'all something about sex if y'all don't know this already. When you're not having any, all sex is good sex. I only know one version with one person, and it's the best thing in the world. We may be terrible, but she don't know any better, and I don't know any better. (laughs) We waited. We waited, we waited, we waited. And it was hard and it was painful and it was, it was trying and there was temptation and we talked about it. Like, we're going to get married anyway because that's the logic, right? We're going to get married anyway. What's the, what's the harm in she, just a little bit before? But we didn't. We, we waited. And y'all, I'm telling you, we wasted a trip to Jamaica. <laughs> uh, we, we honeymooned to Jamaica. My parents paid. That was like a gift from my, from my mom and, and stepdad. They paid for our honeymoon. They spent all this money for us to go to Jamaica for a week after our wedding. And I have a ton of pictures from the balcony of my room. Here's the view. Here's the view from this angle. And from that angle, look, 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 look what we see when we look down. I got like 50, 70 pictures from the balcony of our hotel room. I got one of the pool and one of the sign as we came into the resort. That's it. Because we spent a whole lot of time in the room making up for what we felt like was lost time. We, we, we went to Charleston last year for our 15-year anniversary. We about, we, I tried to waste a trip to Charleston. <laughs> because, 
Because the truth is, or the, the myth is that practice makes perfect. And there's this idea, well, well maybe I better practice before I, before I get married. I need to practice so that I'll be good at it. Right? Like, I, I, wanna, I don't want to get to my marriage and not know what I'm doing. Listen to me. Here's, here's 16 years married experience. Let me tell you something. You won't need any help figuring it out, single people. Listen to teenagers, young people, not yet married. All right, listen. You, it's not like playing an instrument. Like, if you want to learn to play the piano, you got to practice and practice and practice to be good at playing the piano. You'll be able to figure out sex the first time. You won't have any trouble, I promise. And I've never, I mean, just imagine this mentality. Like, you get to your wedding night, and you look at your spouse, and you're like, wow, you know, you're really good at this. I'm so glad that you practiced. Like, you're so good at this. And you go, well, I'm really glad that you're good at Yeah, you practiced a lot, too. I'm really glad that you're good at this. Man, we're really good at this. Hey, maybe we can enter, like, a competition or something. Like, we're so, nobody thinks like that, do they? Like, I don't, who wants to get to their married night and their partner be a pro? I mean, just let's think, think about the rationale. The myth, practice makes perfect. Here's the truth. Romance in marriage is fueled by exclusivity. It's fueled by exclusivity. Here's what that means. The greatest gift that you can give your spouse is for them to be the only person that knows you biblically. Because intimacy is to know and to be fully known. Listen to me. It is one of the greatest joys of my life. And this will sound almost, I'm not trying to be funny. This serious moment that could potentially sound funny. It's one of the greatest joys of my life to know that I am the only person that knows my wife the way that I know my wife. I'm I'm the only one. Out of the billions of people on this planet, I am the, I know her better than her doctor. Like, I'm I'm just like, come on, y'all. I said it wasn't gonna be funny. It's a little bit funny. Like, I, I know her biblically. And it's awesome. And I'm the only one. There's no other person. I'm the only person on the face of the planet that knows her like that. And, and, and it goes the other way too. I've never been as intimate with any other person on the face of the planet than I am, than I have been with my wife. She's the only one. Be jealous, ladies. Be jealous. She's the only, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. See, when we, when we buy into the, to the lie, to the myth that practice makes perfect, all, all we're doing is giving our spouse someone to compare us to. Who, who, wants to. who wants to live with that? So here's, here's my challenge. Here, here's what I'd ask you to do, especially if you're not yet married. This will be for the, the single people. We'll get to the married people in just a minute. Running short, a little bit short on time, but we want to. I want to hit this. You have to determine the story you want to tell. Determine the story that you want to tell. This this is applicable both for single and married people too. You can you can do this too, married people. Determine the story you want to tell. Now, for single people, here's a here, here's a story. Here, here's a version of the story. Well, you know, we I went to spring break, 
and um, we were in college, and I was in a frat, and all my, all my brothers were going. We went to spring break, and we had a great time, and I was, man, I got really drunk, and, uh, and, I, and I lost my virginity. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We don't ever really lose it, right? We kind of just give it away. But anyway, that's another, that's another sermon for another day. We don't lose it. We give it away. But, but I lost my virginity, and then, you know, a couple years later, I met this girl, and we thought we were going to get married, so we moved in together, and then, you know, we, we, we had our thing, but it didn't work out, and so we broke up, and hey, but now, I'm committed to you forever. Like, now, it's just you and me forever, baby. Like, that's, that, that's a version. That's, that's a story. Here's a better one. So, when I was, uh, when I was in high school, or thinking about going away to college for the summer, and there was a... Uh, and I went to this really weird church, and there was this crazy guy on stage. I don't even remember his name. All I remember is he talked too fast most of the time. And he told me some stuff about sex that I'd never heard before. And, and from that day, I've been planning my life for you. And I've been living my life in such a way that when I got to my wedding, that I would be able to give to my future spouse, this gift. That you're, I'm gonna be known and know you in a way that no other two human beings on the face of the planet know and know me and know and know you. And I, I did that for, for you. That's a good story, isn't it? It's a great story. But, but here's, here's, how you, here's how you do that. You have to make the decision now about the story that you want to be able to tell your future spouse. And then you have to, to live in such a way that you're able to tell it. So you got to determine the story so that you can tell the story. Now, for married people, here's, here's where I believe this lands for us. You can't tell that story some of us. You can't, but, but here's a story that you can tell. You can sit your spouse down, and you can say, hey, look, here, here is my story. I don't like it very much. Here's the great thing about stories, or, or books, rather. Books, they have, they have chapters. And so I, I'm turning the page and here's the new story that I want to be able to tell 15 years from now. That I loved and connected with you in such a way that sets you apart from every other human being on the face of the planet. And I want to be able to look back 10 years, ago, 10 years from now and say, you know, the the first couple of chapters of, of, of my sexual story, I don't like very much. But the ones that involve you, man, that's a beautiful story. And so in order to be able to tell that story 10 years from now, you've got to make a commitment today, married people. And it's this, you and your spouse, you should sit them down. And you should have a conversation that, that sounds something like, you know, I didn't get it right up until now. But I believe that the God we say we believe in and the God that we serve and the God that we read about and the church that we go to and listen to some guy talk about, like all, all of the thing, all of the influences in my life are leading me to this reality. That it is you and me, for better or for worse, 
rich or poor, sickness, health, sex, and non-sex for eternity. And I'm committing to you that, that I want our marriage to be fueled by exclusivity. And here's, here's what you can trust me to do. It's to be faithful. To be faithful. And my track record might not show it because of how I lived prior to knowing you. But I believe that God is doing something in me. And because of what I now understand to be the truth of scripture. I, I want a marriage that's on fire. And the only way that I can fuel that fire is to be 100% totally committed and faithful to you. You need to make that commitment to your spouse and my hope would be that they would make the same commitment back to you. Now we make that, we make that commitment on our wedding day. But you and I both know the divorce rate in our country. Sometimes vows don't mean as much as they should. And so, so how about we as married couples at the beginning of this series, we, we just recommit ourselves to one another to live in such a way that we can honor God and honor our spouse in our sexuality. You see, when we choose to plan for something in the future by giving up something now, changing the way that we live now, that's, that's not a sacrifice. It, giving up something now for something better later, it's not a sacrifice, it's an investment. And so I'm asking the single people in the room, if you would invest in your future marriage by having a plan now for the story that you want to tell. And I'm asking the married people in our room together today that we would make a commitment now to live our lives in such a way that we protect ourselves from unfaithfulness. We talk a lot about guardrails and about margin, about putting practices in our life that we follow to keep us faithful. We've talked an awful lot about how easy it is for how easy it is for us to fall into sin. You can't fall into sin if you're never close enough to trip. So put some things in your life right now, some practices, some, some, some guidelines, some margin in your life to allow you to live in such a way that, that unfaithfulness is never even a possibility for you. And if you're looking for some help with some of those guardrails, come and talk to me. I've got a lot in my life. We've talked about some of them from this stage. But if you're saying, hey, I don't even know what that looks like, come, come talk to me. We're in the office all week long. Come talk to any of the pastors on staff. We can help you figure out how to live in such a way that you take cheating off the table completely. We, we can help you with, with, with those things. Come and talk to us. But I believe that if we, can, if we just start here, start with a healthy view of sex, man, from, from there, it's a lot easier for us to grow. So let's commit together today to live in such a way that we get to tell the story that we want to tell. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the time that we've had together here this morning. God, I don't know exactly where this message lands with each individual person, but here's what I do know. God, that all of us have or had or are still developing a view of how sex impacts us and the difference that it makes in our lives. God, all of us in this room, I believe, know full well the, the beauty and the power of it, but God, we've also seen the destructive nature of it when it's mishandled. So Father, would you guide each and every one of us to live in such a way that we can tell the story that we want to tell. God, I believe that you are a God of renewal 
And for those of us that have messed up and for those of us that have fallen short and for those of us that have made mistakes in our sexuality, God, you have the ability to make us new again. God, give us a renewed vision for how you would have us to live our lives and treat this beautiful thing that you've given us called sex. And God, I believe that marriages are gonna be stronger before it, both those that currently exist and the ones that have yet to be entered into. God, we love you. We thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth about how you've designed life to work. We thank you, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.